take your Bibles, if you would, and turn back to that First Thessalonians passage. I don't know if how many of you know what this is. I'm going to give you the definition. It is a series of photographic prints collected by an individual person or family in the form of a book. Now, all of you under the age of 20, look at this, see? This is a photo album. I was able to borrow this this weekend from the Smithsonian Institute (laughs) under the prehistoric man section. And if you've never seen one of these before, um, you can come and look at this one. I have to get it back so they can put it in the glass display in Washington, D.C., But no, really, it's a family album. It's my family album. We have more than one. My wife is not here today. She would be so proud of me. I'm not into pictures, but to say the least, she is. We have many photo albums. She must have at least 10,000 photos on her phone. Um, But this is the photo album about when I was a youth pastor back in Finley, Ohio, uh, where I grew up as a kid and went to church. I graduated seminary and then went back to be the youth pastor for five years in my home church. And it has all those things. If you look through these, you'll find the pictures in here. And you'll find that I actually had more hair on my head than my beard. And it was brown. And I had these glasses that were like this back in those days. But it's a photo album. And photo albums are great if you have one and you know about them. You'll know that they serve a purpose. And you know what the purpose is? The purpose is to help us remember the changes that have taken place in the years of our lives. And as I joked around a little bit, sometimes it's changes in your looks. Can you believe what we look like and how we dressed 30 years ago? I mean, changes in our age, things definitely have changed. Changes in our relationships, changes where we live, changes how we live. Photo albums have great purpose. And aside a little bit, parenting tip. I have also learned that photo albums can double as a source of blackmail. I told my kids many times, I took pictures and have them on there, and I said, if you don't obey mom and dad, when you get older, this will matter to you because I will show all of your pictures to the people you're dating or that you might marry. And so it works out very good. Now, Mackenzie is not even a year old, and we have already accumulated through pictures and video. We have a biographical blackmail system already in line for her, and she's only one year old, and this is one of the ones we put in there. See, look at that. Now, her first date is going to see that if she's not a good girl, all right? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, really, and throughout the book in both letters, they are really like a sort of spiritual photo album that the Apostle Paul puts together. It's pictures of his ministry in Thessalonica to the believers there in that town who came to turn to the Lord. And throughout these pages of his letter, he includes what I call verbal pics or pictures of the spiritual changes that had taken place in their lives. And over these two epistles, what we call First and Second Thessalonians, he admonishes them a number of times to do this, to remember. He says it in chapter 1, verse 3, if you look in your text, 
He also says it in chapter 2 and verse 9. He says it a third time in chapter 3 and verse 6 because what he's doing is writing them because he wants them to remember when they got saved, how they got saved, and what that meant and the changes that occurred in their life because of it. So he says in verse 3, remembering, remembering your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope in Jesus Christ. Remember how you changed when you started worshiping him. And so we might even say that this is their, amongst many albums, their worship album. And it has memories in it. Memories of how the Thessalonicas used to worship in pagan temples and worship false idols. And now they are people who become believers and they worship the true and living God and their worship has changed their lives. And so, of course, I have to ask you this morning, what about your photo album? What about the ones that you're making? Not like the one I held in my hands a few moments ago, but what about the spiritual photo album that you're making You see, you're memorializing the changes in your life for good or for bad, and whether they're happening or not happening spiritually. See, you're you're putting together every single day of your life a worship album about who you worship, what you worship, and what it's doing in your life. And if we look through the photo album of your worship life, what would we see this morning? What would we see that you're doing with your time and with your money and with your calendar and your priorities? What kind of changes would be depicted over the last year or two years or three years? What would it show about your faith and who you really worship? Would it demonstrate that worship still matters to you? Because that's been our series. This is our last sermon in that series. But worship matters. And you know why it matters? Because worship changes everything. And it's good for us this morning as believers to open up the photo albums of our lives and look at the spiritual pictures that we've been putting in there and ask ourselves in doing so this question. Is your life still changing like it was the day you got saved? So we're going to open up the Thessalonians photo album and we're going to look at three pictures in their worship life, and we're going to see the changes that took place in their lives, and we're going to ask ourselves along the way in application, see, is our life still changing like it was that first day? So we're going to look at the first pick. Look at verses 6 through 8 with me. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. See, the first picture is the word of God. The word of God. And I'm going to break it down in two ways. The word of God in your life and the word of God that comes out of your life. You see, if they had pictures in their albums, they might have the word of God and they wouldn't have had a Bible because they couldn't hold a Bible in their hand. They didn't have that back then. But if they could, they would have held the Bible in their hand and over here would a picture, like almost like a before and after picture. You've seen those commercials on television. See, this is what they were before in the pagan temples, but now they became Christians and the change that took place in their life. And they'd have to look back and see the pictures of what caused it. It was the gospel, namely the word of God. And that phrase is used Five times, three times in our text in verses 5, 6, and 8, once in 2.13, another 4.15. But here's the catalyst. Here's what changed their lives from idolatry to worshiping the true God. It was the word of God. And that word of God, once it got inside of them, turned them from lies to truth. 
And you can see it for yourself in the text. It says this, and you received, see it in verse 6, you received the word. You welcomed it in. It's the same word, if you want to look over real quickly in your Bible, to chapter 2 and verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, same word, watch. That when you received the word of God, and the word often throughout the books of the New Testament is used to describe hospitality. It's often translated welcome. Here's what he's saying. Remember back when the word of God first came into your house? The word of God first came into your heart? See, you opened your doors to it. You welcomed it. You wanted it to come into your life. You know, hospitality is way bigger back then than it is now. When I was growing up, my family would, if we had missionaries or traveling pastors who would come our way, my mom and dad would always keep that in our house. And so I remember the guest room and my parents would have them over and we'd prepare meals for them when they come in the door, that we'd give them a hug and we'd take their coat and hang it up. Oh, hospitality back then was way more than that. If you, had, if you were hospitable, you would take someone in and they would have sandals on and their feet would be dirty and you'd wash their feet. You'd make meals for them. You'd protect them in case anybody tried to do something to them while they were there. And when you were, they were done with their visit, you'd walk them to the next town to make sure that they got on their way. I mean, it was really, really involved. And you would allow people to stay almost literally as long as you wanted to. It's quite a different thing than it is today. But see, they welcomed God's word. They were glad to have God's word into their life. They didn't believe the lies of idolatry anymore when they received the word of God into their lives. Now see, that wasn't how it always was. See, this was the capital city in Greece in the Roman, who was a Roman state. And see, this was the capital city, and everybody worshipped idols. There were tons of idols. There were tons of temples. And just about everybody other than these people worshipped another god. And they had that god. They had a god for everything. They had a god for sex, success, crops, war, everything. And they would go to the temple. They would declare their allegiance to Caesar because they were idolaters. But not these people. In the midst of a culture that worshipped anything or everyone other than God, they welcomed the word of God. And they didn't just welcome in for a little bit, not just for a meal, not just even overnight. No, they welcomed them in and it changed, listen, their whole lives. Listen to what Paul says. To what extent did they welcome him in, welcome the word in? Listen to verse 6. You became imitators. Do you see it? Underline it. Parallel statement, verse 7. You became an example. You see the two B verbs? Became. You became an imitator. You became an example. See, they didn't just ask Jesus into their lives and let the word of God make me have a trait. Oh, you know, I need to be kind, so I want to be kind like Jesus. Oh, no, you know, I need to be patient So I want to be patient. No, no. They invited the word of God into their lives so it would take over their whole lives so that they would imitate Jesus. They wanted to be like him in every area of their lives. You see, when you turn from idols to the true and living God, it is not that you're just turning over a new leaf because you've had some bad experiences or made some bad choices. It's not just because you're trying to be a little bit more religious and so you come to church and maybe Jesus can help me with this bad habit. See, it's not that you are trying to become a little bit moral because, you know what, your immorality has got you into a lot of trouble. 
No, these people said, you know what I want when I turn from this God to the true God? I want to be like him in totality. I want him to come into my life and take over every area. See, I used to have a God for all these items in my life. Now I have the God who controls all of my life. The word imitator is the English word we get mimic. You ever seen someone mimic someone? Your kids, believe it or not, sometimes will mimic you whether you like it or not. Sound of your voice, the words that you use, your mannerisms, facial expressions, the way you carry yourself. You know, your kids will eventually mimic you to some degree. Someone has said that imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. Can I tell you this? When they invited God in their lives and the word of God came to live in them, this wasn't just flattering. This was following This was becoming like Jesus. This is what it meant to be a Christian. See, in Acts 17, if you read the initial story about their conversion and what took place when Paul came there the first time, here's what you'll find out. That they received the word of God and it caused a riot. Oh, see, when Paul came in and gave him the gospel, it says, those who have turned the world upside down have come here. That's the gospel. It doesn't just leave your life like it is. It isn't just accepting Jesus someday that you can die and go to heaven. No, it causes a riot. It's a revolution. It comes into your life and turns your life upside down. Is that the kind of worship that you have? Is that the kind of lifestyle that has taken place in your life since you welcomed the word into your life? You see, it was for Jason... It was for Jason, who was the guy who opened his house, not spiritually only, but literally to Paul. And when they came to find Paul and Silas and they wanted to basically lynch him, they couldn't find him. Jason had got them out of there, but he had used his home. See, he had opened his heart, he opened his home, and it didn't matter what the cost was. He'd only been saved a short time. He'd only turned from idols for a short time, but he loved God and he didn't care what it cost. See, there are two Thessalonian guys who were Greeks. And if you read Acts 20 and verse 4, they eventually became partners and traveled with Paul. Their name was Aristarchus and Secundus. And he mentions them by name as Thessalonians. Do you see what I'm saying? These guys accepted Jesus and they turned from idols to worship the true God. They turned from lies to truth. And you know what it was? It took their whole lives over. And it didn't matter that they had to pay the price. And it says this, on the inside, on the outside they had persecution. But on the inside it said this, they had much affliction But at the same time, they had joy in the Holy Spirit who's mentioned twice in verses 5 and 6. You see, that's what it does when you worship God. You know how you can know if you do? When you have circumstances on the outside and situations and things that come into your life, difficulties and trials. See, it may be very hard and difficult on the outside, but that never touches you on the inside. Because you have a joy that you can't get from things going right and people doing what you want and every dream coming true. Because you recognize in the end that those things are just idols. And you find joy even in the worst affliction, even when it costs you to follow Jesus. See, the word of God had come into their life and changed them. How much did it change them? Listen, it had been so radical that it says twice, once in verse six and seven, that everybody in Macedonia and Achaia, Macedonia is the entire region. It would be like this, that people at Faith Baptist Church 
had worshipped false gods and they turned to the true and living God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and worshipped him. And their lives had changed so much and they were willing to pay the price so radically that everyone in Hamilton, Trenton, and all of New Jersey had heard about it and actually wanted to come and find out about it. That's how radical the change was in their lives. Is that you? See, Stephen Curtis Chapman, a long time ago, he has a song, and then the lyrics go like this. What about the change? What about the difference? What about a life that's showing I'm undergoing a change? See, worship matters because it changes everything. And when the word of God gets in you, it revolutionizes you. But listen, it can't stay there because it's the word of God in and the word of God out. There is another parallel two statements there. Look at verse, see it together, verse eight, faith toward God, and in verse nine, turn toward God. Toward God in both of those, it's identical, and here's what it means. Their faith within them changed them radically and what they valued and what life was about and how they were gonna live their lives, and then it went public. We would say today on social media, if they had it back then on the internet, they would say this, their lives went viral. It changed them. So much so that Paul said when he came back to the area a couple years later that he didn't have to say anything because their faith was so strong that everybody knew about Faith Baptist Church. Everybody knew about the people here. They knew that they were different, not odd different, they were God different. And see, they knew that worship had changed everything in their lives. Is that still true for you? Do you remember when the word of God was welcomed, was not welcomed in your home or in your heart. Remember those days before you came to Christ? Remember the pictures that we could have put in your spiritual album about your Bible laying over there on the table almost as a book, to represent, you know, like they put table books out there? Dusty, no one ever picked it up. Remember when you didn't believe its authenticity, that you thought it was a bunch of fables and stories that people put together? Maybe that you didn't believe in its authority. It really shouldn't have anything to do with how you lived your life. But in Thessalonians 2.13, here's how they received it. Not as the word of men, but as it really is. They didn't believe that before. As it really is the word of God that works in you. Remember when you used to debate people? I've heard people say, remember when you mocked it? Remember when you denied it? Remember when you wanted to argue everybody about what the Bible and all the mistakes and the contradictions and everything? Remember? And remember when you got saved, how all of that changed? What happened to those days? What happened to the days when the change was so obvious? When God sovereignly opened your eyes and you stopped holding on to lies, and you started believing the truth. Remember those days when the word of God started meaning something to you and you couldn't get enough of it and you were reading it and buying books about it? Remember those days? That's what he wants them to say. Open your albums. Look at the pictures of what you were and what God made you to be through his word. Remember those days and ask yourself, am I just as hungry now for the word of God as I once was? Or has that hunger diminished and depleted? Am I an imitator 
Would, people, would I want people to look at me and say, wow, I want to mimic her. I want to imitate him. Wow, what an example. What a pattern of Jesus Christ that they are. See, he's telling the Thessalonians, think back, open the album. Take a look at the pictures. See what used to happen. See the pictures. Remember that your baptism. There's that picture of you getting baptized. Remember you. Here's you in the Easter drama. Here's you ministering the word of God. Here's you at all the services. Remember, remember all those days you were growing spiritually how you were faithfully in your spiritual disciplines. Remember how you served God and you used to say, I don't care what it costs me, I'm going to follow him. Remember those days, Paul says. Look at the album. Look at the pictures. That's what you once were. Is it still true that you are now? Paul's not going to just let us have one pick in their worship album, though. He wants us to open up the second page and turn it around a little bit. And he says, listen, not just, right, Not just the first one at all, which he says in our context is the word of God. But he says, I want you to show another pick. And that's the worship of God. And that's in verse number nine. He says in the text, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. See, it's a picture of in their little house church. They didn't have churches to come to like we did. They had house churches, and you met in somebody's home, and it's a picture of them set beside a picture of them where they used to be in pagan temples. They don't go there anymore. Those aren't their gods anymore. And now this little congregation that meets together to worship the true God, that's who they really are. And so he says, remember the kind, not just the reception, but the kind of reception we had. And the word he uses to describe what happened to them is turned. It is an awesome word. And it means to turn completely around. He's describing a complete life change, 180 degrees. He says you're going one direction and you're turning another. It's that you were going down this street and now you turned around and you're headed the opposite direction. We would call today, you made a U-turn. Remember the U-turn you made in your life? Now there's a lot of illegal U-turns and you know that you've done them because you looked around when the officer wasn't there and you said, I'm gonna save some time. You know you've done them. U-turns that are illegal, it's not just turning around and going to church more. That's not what he's after. It's not just a new approach to life, like another diet you might try. It's not just adding God on to part of your life so that you can feel good about being religious. That's not what he's after. No, this is the kind of U-turn that changes everything. And if you read the book of Acts, everywhere the gospel goes, and I'm listing them off in my, right here, Lydda, Sharon, Antioch, All throughout the page, here's what it says, and they turn to God. And they turn to God and put their faith in him. They turn from darkness to light. They turn from Satan to God. Turning means a complete revolution. It means I used to be completely this, and now I'm completely this. Not partially, not mostly, completely. It was a complete spiritual worship U-turn. They turned to God from idols. But watch. To serve the living and true God, the word serve is the word doulos and literally means slave. Let me tell you and ask you so that you can know if it's true of you. If you have turned to God from idols, it is not going from slavery to no slavery. That's not what salvation is. It is going from the wrong slavery to the right 
slavery. It is not having slavery to false gods and lies anymore, but it is turning to present yourself voluntarily to Jesus as a new slave, a a, a volitional slave. Back in the day, if you were emancipated and you could buy your freedom, that if you loved your master so much and you wanted to keep that master, even though you could go somewhere else and be your own, you would put a little ring in your ear And that would be a mark that everyone would know that I serve this master and I do it willingly. See, that's Christianity. It's becoming a slave of Jesus because he has freed me from the other slavery. So we open the album of God's people and we turn to the pages of their former slavery. Has it been you? Pictures of slaves to pornography, slaves to drugs and alcohol, slaves to anger and blowing up, which perhaps ruined relationships or your marriage, slaves to being unforgiving bitterness that you hold inside and never made it right, slaves to anxiety and anxiety attacks and You couldn't handle pressures and you couldn't face it. You couldn't go in crowds. Fear, depression, slaves to it. It controlled you. It was what you worshipped. It was what you depended on and trusted. And even though you never probably thought of it in those terms. Seeing yourself as a victim, it was everybody else's fault. Blame shifting. See, it's never my fault. Never taking responsibility. Therefore, never changing. And ultimately, you were just flat out a slave to sin in yourself. Because that was your true idol. But see, those pictures were in your album, and that's what you were. But see, but you had turned. You had turned from those things to the living and true God. You were choosing the right kind of freedom, the choosing Jesus Christ as your master. And now he controls inside and outside of you. You see why he deserves your worship? Back in the day when they signed the Declaration of Independence, they knew that when signing it might be the end of their lives. And for many of those who signed the Declaration of Independence, it did cost them a lot, if not everything. Patrick Henry stood up knowing that freedom was costly and said the famous words, I know not what course others may take. But as for me... Give me liberty or give me death. You know why? Because he knew it would cost him. But freedom meant that much to him. Can I tell you this? Jesus gave us liberty by his death. And he has paid the price for us. And he's worthy of all of our worship because he's freed us. Freed us. We're not victims. We're victors in Jesus Christ. And said, Paul says, open the album, Thessalonians. Open the album, believers at Faith Baptist Church, and see, it was the word of God that changed you inside and out. And the worship of God that totally, totally revolutionized your life. And then he says, let me show you one more picture before we're done, and that's in verse 10. And you might look at first glance and say, how does that fit into this text? And he writes, verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven 
whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, or Jesus who delivers us, the one who rescues us and delivers us from the wrath to come. You see, how does that fit in? Because when you turn to God from idols, you turn from lies to truth. And here's the last thing. You know what other turn you make? Turning from false hope to true hope. Let me tell you a phrase. Please remember it. False worship leads to false hope. Every single time. Whatever you worship this morning is what you are putting your hope in, your trust in. If you have dreams and think that, you know what will make me happy? If I could just be a little more successful, if I could have a little bit more money, if I could retire comfortably, if this relationship would really work for me, if I could have that pleasure and get that pleasure, have that thing and buy that thing. See, those are false idols. And you know what? If we make them the center of our lives, not because relationship or cars or dreams or success are wrong, but when they become good things, become God things. They become idols. And they promise things. You know that, right? They promise you that you'll be happy. They promise you that you'll finally be at peace, that you'll finally be able to stop being nervous. I've got enough. I can make it. I can have security. I can see. And they promise things. And so you worship your career. If I could get to the top of the ladder, it would make me happy. But it's a false hope because you get laid off and your company goes under and you fail to produce and you don't get the things you thought you would. See, you worship your kids and everything is about them. Everything falls in line with what they want to do and their li- their, what they're after in life. But see, then your kids, they start disobeying. They rebel. They start disrespecting you. And the gap between you and them is getting broader every year. And you don't know how to bridge it. It's a false hope. You worship money, materialism, and things and you think, I bigger this, a better that, another vacation, a little bit longer. But you are always wanting a little bit more because it's truly just never enough. And for some, it's even deeper than that. You really just worship autonomy. No one's going to tell me what to do. No one's going to tell me what's right for wrong. No one's going to tell me how to live my life. And so teens go against their parents and throw off their authority. And you live that way the rest of your life and you lose your job over and some even get arrested because of it because you're going to do what you want to do. It's the worship of self and autonomy. And every single time in our lives, false worship leads to false hope. But see, true worship, on the other hand, always leads to true hope. And that's why, grammatically, can I show it to you? The two infinitives go together. You turn from God to idols, to serve the living and true God, watch, and to wait. See, to serve goes with to wait. Why? Because what you worship is what you're waiting on, what you're putting your hope in, where you think you're going to get and trust you're going to get what you think you need in life. False idols are horrible masters because they never come through on their promises. But the scripture, in contrast, says of Jesus in 2 Corinthians 1.10, that all the promises of God are amen in Christ Jesus. See, Jesus keeps his promises. Therefore, Paul wants to say to the Thessalonians, he's worth the wait. See, worshiping and waiting go together. So it all comes down to where is your hope? Is it an earthly hope that you can get or is it a heavenly hope that Jesus has to bring? That's why he says, we wait for him from heaven. 
He's the one with power and authority. Here's the one. He's the one that can keep promises. He's the one who's going to make you happy. He's the one who can give you satisfaction. He's going to deliver on his promises. But you've got to wait on him. And while you wait, you worship him and live a life that patterns him. I guess when it comes down to it, the truth is, it's all about the object of your hope. Who you're hoping in matters. Armand was a little boy who lived back in the late 70s in Armenia. True story. And his mom and dad, his dad, I should say, took him to school every day across town in the car and dropped him off. And at the end of, you know, as he drove up every day and they opened the door for his son, he'd always tell him. He didn't think much of it because he said it so many times. He said, listen, when school's over, come right out here. I'll meet you here and I'll pick you up and I'll be here no matter what. He said it every day. Like, it was just, he hardly even thought of it anymore. But this day would be different. This day, after he dropped his son off and went to work, two hours later, they would have an earthquake in Armenia in the town in which he lived that was 7.9 on the Richter scale, which flattened everything in his town. This time, his dad gets in the car and drives across town. He, can't, he tries to go home first to see if his wife is okay. He can't even get close. He has to get out of his car and run for blocks. Turning the corner, he sees his house... His house is demolished, but he sees his wife standing in the front yard, and what a relief it was. He runs up and hugs her, and you know what they're both thinking. Get back in the car. You've got to find Armand. He does. He gets in the car, takes quite a while to make his way across town, but he does. There are sirens, police, all kinds of things going off. You can imagine. He gets to the school, but he doesn't get all the way there. He has to get out and run to get there, too, because there's too many blocks. Things have been destroyed. He can't make it to the school, but he finally runs far enough, turns the corner, and when he does, he's devastated because the school is completely flat. Parents are out there, police officers, firemen. It's, it's, it's a nightmare. People are screaming and crying and wailing. In the midst of all that, it comes to his mind, I promised him. I promised I'd come back and pick him up and be here for him no matter what. And in his mind, he said this, and that's exactly what I intend to do. He kind of looked at the building and said, I think my son's class is on the back right-hand corner. And so he made his way there, passing all kinds of people that were in distress. And he gets to the place. He doesn't even know where to start. He doesn't see his son. He doesn't know what to do. But he says, I'm just going to start looking. So he starts pulling blocks and debris and all kinds of things down. Nothing. Two hours pass, and finally an officer comes up to him and says, listen, you got to go home. It's dangerous. You see there's been explosions here. Pipes are bursting. You can't be here. If we find your son or when we do, we'll notify you. And he said, thank you, but no thank you. I made a promise. I intend to keep it. Ten hours later, nothing. He was still there. Overnight, he was there. Twenty hours later, no one was there anymore. He was 30 hours later, he was still there. 36 hours, he overturned with the help of someone who had come back. The largest boulder, I guess you'd say, he'd tried to remove. It had happened to be, although he didn't know it, it was the boulder that was covering the top of the closet next to the room where his son's room was in school. It was completely dark. He yelled down there, Is anyone there? And unbelievably, his son Armand says, Dad, is that you? 
They were so elated. He said, Dad, I told the 12 kids in this little closet with me that you would come back because you promised me. They rescued all of them. They stayed alive and made it because that dad kept his word. See, they put their hope in the right person, didn't they? When my daughter Mackenzie was three, she had ear tumors. And they weren't cancerous, but if they spread, they would eat their way into your brain and kill you. So they were still very dangerous. And so we took her to, after we found out what it was, we took her to Dr. Potsick in Philadelphia, who by God's providence is the number one leading specialist on my daughter's disease in the, in the United States. He said, your daughter has a very serious case. It's probably the third most serious I've ever seen. He goes, and she's going to need multiple surgeries on both of her ears, and she wants to have hearing, and so that it won't end up killing her. And so surgery after surgery, we went there, and after eight surgeries, he said, I think, Pastor, I goes, Pastor, I think, Lance, I got it all. And they were microscopic, so they were very, very small. He said, I think I got it all. He goes, I've never, this is the most I've ever done any surgeries, but I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that she doesn't need it anymore. I go, well, how sure are you? He goes, I think there's probably a 1% chance that she'll need another surgery. I go, do you promise? He kind of laughed. He goes, I promise. Six months later, I got a phone call. I'm sorry. She's going to need that other surgery. See, the best, the best doctor couldn't keep that promise. Because the object of your hope matters. Who are you hoping in? Who are you waiting for? It's all determined by who you worship. And as you open the album cover and look at the pages and the pictures therein, what does your life say that your hope is? See, you're here this morning. You've never put your hope in Jesus Christ that he died and rose again. See, you can put your hope in him. You can trust in him. You can say, Jesus, turn my life around by your grace. Forgive my sin. I want to worship you only. See, you can do that this morning. And if you're a believer and you open the album and you said, I've done that before. Jesus, turn me around. But pastor, I'll be honest. If you looked at the pictures of my life, it just doesn't look like my hope is him. Oh, See, you can turn that around this morning with God's help and God's grace. And you can give him the worship that he deserves. You know why? Because worship matters. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, in the quietness of this moment, as you let the Spirit of God search your heart, would there be anyone this morning say, Pastor, so many idols. Martin Luther said, our hearts are idol factories. Oh, so many things I put equal to or more than God. It's just been my life. I, I try to be good, moral, religious, turn over new leaves. It just never works because you've never turned. God's never turned you by his grace. Oh, would you let him do that this morning? Would you let him turn you from idols to God? It's the most radical turn you'll ever take, but you won't be sorry, either now or for eternity. Pastor, I want to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who raised from the dead, the only one I can put my hope in that can deliver me from the wrath and punishment that's coming. 
I want to give my life to worship him. I want to be an imitator of him. I want him to take over all my life. Forgive my sins and become my Lord and my Savior. I want to do that this morning. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor Walker, that's me. I want to become a worshiper of the Lord Jesus fully this morning. Is there anyone you've just put your hand up if you would real quick and put it down? Main floor or balcony, and I'll pray for you in just a moment. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Perhaps you are a believer and you once were so hungry for the Bible, so hungry for God's word, it was in you and coming out you and people were looking at your life and they were impacted by it. But years have passed and the album has put other pictures in there. And now you'd be hard-pressed to figure out who you truly worship and where your hope really is. And Pastor Walker, I don't want to live that way any longer. As a believer, I want to be fully worshiping Jesus. I want to be an imitator and an example so that when others look at me, they see him. That's not me. And there's some things that have to go, some idols I still need to turn away from. But order to him to have full control. I want to get back into the word, and I want the word to get back into me more. Pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up this morning, and I'll do that in a moment. All over. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Oh, Lord. No one like you. God who waits. Who waits on us. Oh, Lord. Thank you for your endurance and patience. I pray for those who raised their hand this morning, whether it's for salvation, or whether it's for coming back to worship God in the way that he deserves. I, I pray that you'd work in each one of these hearts and in these lives. May there be an unbelievable turning in those lives of those who raise their hand and the others who perhaps need to but did not by the work of your spirit and your great word in our lives that you might get the worship that you alone deserve. And we'll praise you for that in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.